years from now. You'll still be joking with me about this. That um, Have you ever had deja vu? When I say that, everyone had the experience of deja vu, that moment where you believe you've already experienced the thing you're experiencing in the moment. I had this experience, I think it was last Sunday. Now listen, Tess does love me, and she encourages me in so many ways. But there are those moments where I mess up and she has to repeat some instruction to me. You know, like, hey, you have this pattern, you do this a lot, that, that kind of thing. I mean, it happens daily, but, you know, that kind of thing. Well, no kidding, so it was like, it may, it may have been last Sunday, and I had done something ridiculous, and she was kind of getting on me about it, and, and so I literally began to, I started to have deja vu. But it was so funny because I wanted to tell her that I was having deja vu, but I knew what she was going to say. She was going to say, yes, we've talked about this before. Yes, I said this before. <laughs> but now I was like, no, but like, it's like exactly the same. And, uh, but it literally was something she had already gotten on with me about, I mean, I don't know how many times. So, but I was literally having deja vu. I mean, I could predict what she was going to, it was just, it was very weird. Um, so I waited to tell her it was deja vu until we got deep into the conversation because uh, I knew what she was going to say. So, but um, I say all of that to let you know that um, your pastor is, 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 is not perfect. Um, I know George has been telling me I am ever since I've been here. And George, I'm not. I'm not. I, so, but, um, but I also wanted to get this concept of deja vu up on your radar. That's really the key. I'm just trying to be personal. Um, but deja vu is the thing I want to I lock in on. That moment where you're like, I've been here before. Because as I studied our passage, this next part of the letter to First uh, uh, Peter, I literally was having a deja vu moment. I, I had this moment as I was studying through the passage, I've been here before. But I know we hadn't been here before. I know we haven't studied this particular passage. But there was so much in the passage I thought we've been here before. So I had to do a bit digging and lo and behold, we've been here before. We just, went, we, we just went through this passage back when we studied chapter 1. So I can't wait to show you this morning how so many of the, the, the sections of this passage actually have already been dealt with back in chapter 1. You know Peter is, is a guy who likes repetition. In this passage, we're going to see it happen. We're going to have these deja vu moments where we see this part of chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. And then I'm going to say deja vu moment and we're going back to chapter 1 and you're going to see that same thing playing out. And when Peter repeats something, it's important. So come with me through chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Peter, you know, has been talking a lot about suffering. The fact that we need to endure suffering. We need to do good when we're suffering, even when we're suffering. And we need to trust God through all of it. Well, now we're stepping into this next section uh, of the letter. And we're going to see his next set of instructions to this community of Christians. Chapter 4, verse 7. We'll read the whole passage and then we'll break it down. Starting verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
And if anyone speaks, well, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right. So we're gonna just let's just walk through it. And I think the first thing you're noticing, I'm noticing, is the first part of the first uh, of the first section of the passage. So we'll highlight it here. The end of all things is near. Now I think you're you, you might be like me. I'm going. What's the definition of near? Because we're two thousand years, roughly two thousand years from the time this was penned. If if two thousand years is near then I'd like to know what at a distance means. I mean, this seems, this seems like he might have been off. Because we did, it doesn't feel like he was near when you have a delay of roughly 2,000 years. So what does Paul mean, uh, Peter mean when he says the end of all things is near? Well, one scholar says it this way. This is helpful. So I want to just quote a, several sentences that this one scholar uh, writes in his commentary. The word near does not mean Peter was expecting Christ to return in a few weeks or months. It means, rather, that all the major events in God's salvation plan, culminating in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, had already occurred. Therefore, Christ's return could happen at any time. It was at hand in Peter's day, and still is today. Okay, so, so what we need to understand is we're not, we're not thinking here in terms of a, a chronology. That is, near means weeks, months. It means that in God's plan, certain things have happened where, where the next thing to happen is the end. And Peter is now declaring, we're in the last times. There's nothing else left. So, so when, you had, when you had God giving a promise to Abraham... That one day he would send someone to bless all nations. Well, there were still some things to come. And eventually Jesus shows up. And Jesus fulfills the law. He dies. He's buried. He comes back to life. He ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit is poured out. We are in the last days. That is, there's, the only thing left in God's plan for redemption is from wrapping up this age to bring in the age to come. Now, there might be a lot of debate exactly how that's going to happen. We've been studying that on Sunday night on our end time study. It's very, uh, quite a complex thing. But, but in general, the next thing to come is the move from this age to the age to come. So we're in those last days. And it's at this point I'm having a deja vu moment. Check out chapter 1. We'll go back to chapter 1, verse 20. Peter wrote this back in chapter 1. Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed when? In these last times for your sake. That is, that when Jesus arrives, something fundamentally different has shifted in world history. There's nothing else coming. There's not another Jesus coming. There is the Jesus coming, and He will return, and it will move us from the this age to the, the age to come. So this is the end. There's nothing else. There's no, no big plan coming in this world. The next big plan is the world to come. So these are the last times. This is actually in different places in the New Testament too. 
Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer writes it this way. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times in various ways. But what? In these last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. When you get Jesus arriving on the scene, the you have a fundamental shift in history. You have the world to come. The world to come has broken to this world. This is it. And so now, that shift from this age to the age to come, the return of Christ, well, now that's near. It could happen at any time. Now, I know how you and I probably feel. You probably feel like, well, I mean, if he hadn't come at this point, he's probably not coming in the next 30 years anyway. So let's just, we'll just keep moving along like we always have. But this is, this is the thing that Christians are never supposed to settle into. You never settle into, well, it's just always going to keep going the way it has. We're in the last time. God used to do something else. He spoke different ways, moved in different, and operated differently. Always by faith, but He moved in different ways. But now, He came in the last days through Christ. So we're near. So we always keep this on our radar. Christ could return. He could return before we know who wins the final four. Did you know that? And since Carolina probably going to win it, we might as well just he could come back and we'll just celebrate a little bit in heaven. That's fine. Okay, don't mean to be sacrilegious. You get where I'm going. Okay. Um, so, in light of the fact that the end could come at any point, like, what do you do with all of that? Well, here's what he says next. The next thing he says is this. Therefore, be alert and sober of sober mind so that you may pray. So, basically... You need to have the end in mind, that is, that Christ could come at any point so that you move through life in a way that is appropriate. Literally, it shapes your thinking. It, 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 it frames your behavior. Again, another deja vu moment. We've been here before. Chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, he says this. He already said this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought when Jesus Christ was revealed at His coming. So you get your mind straight, you have a sober and alert mind, because you know He's coming. And as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You don't just live any way you want, because at any point Jesus could return. We're that close. Maybe not chronologically, we don't know, but we know there's nothing else coming but the end. That's what's coming next. So you get your mind straight. And by the way, for many, 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 many weeks, we have been talking about Peter's instruction to these Christians to endure unjust suffering. And to do good and trust God. One of the ways that you lock in on enduring unjust suffering, you keep doing good, is because you're aware that at any point, Christ is returning. So it literally shapes your life, even in suffering. You see how this begins to tie together in the letter. This, this is so key. It frames and shapes the mind. And that shapes how you talk to God, how you pray. Actually, the Greek here, in the original language... Uh, it's, it's actually stronger than what this translation says. It's actually to pray effectively. You just don't, you just don't rattle off, you know, flippant prayers. 
you're aware of the seriousness of our, of our world, that the next big thing to happen is Christ's return. So you just let that frame and shape the mind. And it changes how you live, how you, how you go through bad things, how you deal with a crooked boss, what happens when your government is corrupt. But you, it, it shapes your life, your everyday life. Well, it also does something else. It's also going to do something among Christians, like among the Christian community, among the people in the church. Here's what he says next. We'll go on. I feel like I just did the summary <laughs> spontaneously. Uh, each of you should use whatever... Uh, wait a minute. Can you go back one more, Carol? I am hoping I did not... Keep coming. There we go. That's okay. Okay, maybe the summary was there anyway. So it was just... It, 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 providence. All right. Um, verse 8. Above all... So in, getting, after you've got your mind straight, here's how, what it's also going to influence... Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to another, one another without grumbling. This is so key, because this is a group of people that are struggling. You struggled. I've struggled. You dealing with a bad boss. I'm sure you've done with, dealt with a bad boss. You struggling in the workplace. You struggling at home. When we struggle, the call is endure. You keep doing good and trust God. But here's the thing we've not said. I don't think we've said it this clearly at this point over all these many weeks. You can't do that by your willpower. You can't just be some island that just really hunkers down and, man, you're just going to work through this really bad boss. We need each other. Like, that's really key. And so Peter's coming here in light of the fact that at any point Christ could come back, in light of the fact that it's shaping your mind, you want to be alert, you make sure to take care of each other. Like, take care of each other. Send each other encouraging notes. Pray for one another. When one of you needs help, help each other. When one of you gets COVID and you're quarantined for 60 days, you know, it feels like forever, cook a meal and take it to the person in need. And I've seen you guys do this. I've seen this church do this. And we do this. But the call here is love one another. Love one another. Because you're going to need one another in a world that's not always hospitable to Christians. So you be hospitable, hospitable to one another. And by the way, don't grumble while you're doing it. That's the piece that I think strikes all of us. Don't you grumble while you're doing it. Again, another deja vu moment. Not only has Peter already talked about the last times, not only has he talked about being alert and sober-minded, He's talked about loving one another already. Chapter 1, verse 22, here it is. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have, what? Sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. It's just a theme. I mean, you got to take care of one another. As Christians, we love one another. It's really important. And this is so important that this kind of became the hallmark for Jesus. You probably remember there was that moment the night before he was uh, the night he was betrayed. He he has this meal with his disciples. He's celebrating Passover, and you remember what he does. He he has this basin of water. You you tracking? And what does he do? He takes on this sign of a servant. He gets on his knees, and what does he begin doing? Washing their feet. And 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 when he does that, he's got some he's got some instruction for those disciples. John thirteen. Here's what he says. He says when he had finished. Washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the call. Take care of one another. And it is a shame when the church is actually the place where people get hurt and aren't cared for. One of the things I love about this church, one of the reasons we, we showed up nearly three years ago, next Sunday will be three years, three years to the Sunday, um, you know, when we were in here um, three years ago. One of the things that brought us to this church was the fact there's never been a church split. Never been a church split. Now, does, does, does George and James, do they like each other? No, they don't like each other. No. But, but, they get to serve on the board together. Isn't that wonderful? Does anyone ever agree with Larry? No, no one agrees with Larry. No. We always agree with Terry. It's always, always. We're actually in an email thread where Larry said something and everybody agreed with Larry. Was, okay, so I'm just picking. I'm just picking. This time I'm picking. Um, so, so, so here's what I, but, but do, I mean, but seriously, in my interview, I watched this board disagree on some things, but then they laughed together. We need to be a people that don't always agree, but we love one another. We don't want to be a people that hurt each other. And when you do that, you can get through a lot of suffering, you can do a lot of good, and you can be trained and learn how to trust God through it all. That's what we do for each other. That's why it's important that we gather together. Now, there's this other thing that Peter wants them to do as well. Uh, if there is a summary slide, we're skipping it. We're going right to the next part. Uh, we'll go into verse 10. Each of you, he says, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So each of you have a gift, and you're supposed to use that gift to care for one another. Now, it's at this point where we would launch into a long conversation about spiritual gifts. And what gifts has God given you? And what gifts has God given you? There's four big lists in the New Testament and none of them match up. And most scholars believe it's because you, there's no exhaustive list, list in the New Testament about what gifts God gives His people to serve one another. Now, in one commentary I read, and man, been dealing with this for years, that is, reading on this subject, what will happen is in churches you'll get a spiritual gift assessment, and then you'll walk through a class, and then you'll, you'll serve in a particular area with your gift, and it's all about you and your gifts. That's what we would do. That's what this conversation could turn into. But man, there was this aha moment. Man, like it, when it popped off the page, I thought, that's where we're going, and I'm like, if I'm excited to share anything, it's this and something else here later in the message. But this right here, I can't wait to show you this. So right here, it would look like we need to talk about you and we need to talk about your gifts and how you use your gift to serve someone else. That's what we need to be talking about until you read the passage. Check this out. I've highlighted it. Look at who shows up in this passage more than you and me. You're stewards of God's grace. These are the very words of God. It's strength God provides in all things. God may be praised. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Who's the center of this passage? God's the center of the passage. The reason that we serve one another, the reason we love, the reason we're alert in mind, and the reason we pray effectively, the reason we keep in mind that the end is near is all to God's glory. Your life is for God, not just for you. It is in His grace that He allows us to enjoy things. 
It says in His grace that He allows us just to, to enjoy our families and enjoy things that are, are pleasurable and full of leisure. It's why He gives us opportunities to have jobs or to, to make, to make um, an ends meet and have food on the table. I mean, these are all God's gracious gifts, but in the end, it's all to God's glory. Where this universe is ending up is we will praise God and His Son and it will be wrapped by the power of the Holy Spirit. It will be all about Him. And we will not be looking at ourselves talking about how good we are. It will be Him. And it's here I had another deja vu moment. You know Peter said this very same thing back in chapter 1. Check this out. Verse 21. Through Christ you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And glorify you or me glorified Jesus. Like, it's him, it's not me. And so your faith and hope are in God. That's where this thing is headed. Like, this is about God. Do you know why we need to be in church every Sunday? Because we need the constant reminder that the world's not about you. We need that. I need that. And I don't need it once a week. Like, I need it, like... I need it around 8 a.m. I need it around 9, 10. Like, I need it to be reminded that the world's not about Jason. Man, that's hard. Paul. Paul hits on this all over the place. So let's share two passages. Paul says this, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, it shines light on Jesus. That's the goal. And then right near the end of Paul's passage in Romans, Romans 11, he's got this big conversation he's had about where does Israel stand in God's plan. And, and he gets to this point where he just launches into praise. Because it's all quite confusing on how God's all going to work it out. And here's what Paul says. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been, in his, been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. So when we use our gifts to serve one another, guess who gave you the gift? God did. You are a steward, a manager. You are giving God's grace away. It's not, it's not that you're just a good listener. It's God's given you a gift. Now you use that gift for His glory. It is not about you. It's not about me. God has put this thing together so that we actually thrive and He gets the glory and we were built by the way for Him to get the glory. That's why when you make the world about you, your life gets a lot harder. But when it becomes about Him, like literally everyday life becomes easier. You know one of the best things people that are, that are in a slump can do? They can go do what? Serve someone else. You ever went and served someone else and then what happens on the back end of serving someone else? Typically everyone always says, man, I feel so much better. Why is that? Because you didn't make the world about you. And when the world isn't about you, you're a lot better. This all applies to me, too. This is the way it works. All right, summary. Then we'll move to some application. Here it is. So, Christian, you keep your eyes on the horizon knowing His coming is near. 
You stay alert, you endure suffering, you do good, you act morally, you pray regularly. You love deeply, you serve each other with your spiritual gifts, and always remember your life is for God's glory, it's about Him. There it is. There it is. And all of that is in chapter 1. It was like one big deja vu moment for me. And I hope maybe I just brought that across to you too. Let's make some application. Like, let's just get this down on the ground where you live, where you eat and drink and sleep. Where does this, where's, what does all this mean? So I think right here, keep your eyes focused on Christ, particularly his glory and his coming. Now, that does sound a bit churchy. I get it. Like, keep your eyes on Christ. I don't see him walking around. So here's where, here's, here's where I'm going with this. I think one of the great challenges in our world is to keep the mind focused in the right direction. There are companies throughout the world, particularly in the United States, they have invaded your phone and they are paying billions of dollars to make sure you pay attention to them. They're doing this through TV ads for years. Why do they do this? Because they know when you get a person's attention for long enough, you get the person. That's why. That's why they do it. They need you to give up your resources for their product. And what they're going to do is they're going to make sure they get all of your attention to do it. So I think the great challenge in our world is now we just don't watch ads on TV. They, they pervade our life because now with a smartphone, we are constantly in the cloud. We're in a digital environment, and that is a place where our attention is constantly being grabbed. So we have to find ways to keep the mind focused on Christ. I'm not saying that social media or digital technology is a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. But what I'm saying is, is left, left without boundaries, we will slide away slowly. And the mind will be captive to whoever the biggest, the biggest, um, uh, the, the, the biggest buyer is. Okay. So here's a couple ways I think we can do this. I know. Again, I know it sounds churchy, but I, listen, I'm going with a tried and true method here. Like it's been going on for, for thou, a, a couple thousand years this has been working. So that's my defense. Read the Bible daily. And gather with Christians regularly. You know, I'm, if I've said it once, I've said it a ton of, uh, you know, a dozen times, more than a dozen. I, I love that you're here. I want you to go anywhere else. I love that you're here at East 10th. I really have a, a, a fondness for our church. But the goal here is not to sell you on East 10th. God will bring people into our church family. The goal here is just gather with Christians regularly. Okay? That's the goal. Gather with Christians regularly. We're not in the business of just trying to build our brand. The goal is, is if you move away or you have another church, just make sure to gather with Christians regularly. You cannot substitute spending time with people. You just can't. You can't do it. And you can't substitute giving your attention to God's Word. You just can't. And you might say, well, I don't like reading. Well, listen to it. There are plenty of apps out there that you could turn on and listen to a psalm a day. You can listen to a passage of the Bible a day. You don't start with the marathon. Start with something little. So there it is. Just, you, you just keep the mind focused. And man, our phones are great at helping us with that. Let me give you two like, real-life examples from the sports world. So uh, a couple months ago, uh, Ethan and I, we started watching a lot of NBA. So we bought the league pass. Uh, it was at a cheap price, and we were like, we're going 
we're going to buy this. And so we've been watching a ton of NBA. If you would have asked me at Christmas, who do you think is going to win the championship, NBA championship? I said, I have no idea. And I just pick an NBA team from my childhood. I just said the Bulls. And just assume Michael Jordan was still playing. Like, that, that would, there we go. I, wouldn't, I didn't know a lot. But now you ask me, I got a lot of opinions. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't like the 76ers. I don't, like, I don't like James Harden. I think that was a bad deal. Don't like that a bit. Now, I might be offending some people. I don't know. But I could go, we could spend the rest of my time right here giving you some analysis. And I'll just tell you, LeBron's not always made out to be. And I think they're going to miss the playoffs. I do. There were nine. I think they're going to go into 11. I do. I think they're going to. Don, you're feeling me. Okay, good. All right. So when I was at, you know, you know, I got a black barber. I love Adrian. Oh, and I told him I'll bring him on stage one day. He said, no, he's not a public speaker. I said, I'm going to bring you on stage one day. But so we're talking. We talked NBA this week. You know why? You know why I could talk NBA and why I have some very definitive opinions about some NBA teams? Because I've spent a lot of time watching NBA in the evenings. There's no way I could get that knowledge and those opinions by reading a sentence a day about the NBA. You have to spend time with it. That's just the way like real life works. So there's so so people who say, "Well, I don't know what God's doing in my life," or "I don't know why God's done this." God wouldn't do this. Oftentimes, people who have opinions about God are also people who never read the Word. How can you know God if you're not in His Word? So you start with just a little bit, and we have all kinds of ways of doing it. But my point is. You can't know something unless you spend time with something. And you can't know somebody unless you spend time with that person. You've got to do this. Let me give you one other example. So I'm, I'm, I'm honing in on focus. There is nothing more important than honing the focus on things that are ultimate. And I just happen to think Jesus is ultimate. That's kind of where I'm landing the plane here. So I want to focus there. It doesn't mean I don't have fun or I don't watch the NBA. Like, golly, you can watch the NBA. You can do all kinds of things and still be a... Uh, a Christ follower, but you keep Christ, you're aware of Christ. Just like you're aware of your family. Do you go days forgetting you have a kid? You ever forgot you have Cam? No, you're not going to forget you have Cam. No. Do you want to forget you have your kids sometimes? Yes. But you never are unaware. And when your kids move out of the house, do you just forget you have a kid? No. <laughs> Maybe you do. <laughs> okay, someone's like, yes, yes, I do. Okay, but you're aware of it. You're aware of it. So we want to stay focused. So, you know, I'm a Braves fan, and we're finally getting, uh, getting started with the, uh, the baseball season. So the Braves have their shortstop, Dan, Dan, uh, Dansby Swanson, great shortstop. His contract ends at the, at the end of the season. And you know what happens when a great player's contract's going to end? At the end of that season, people are already going to start talking to that player about what are you going to do next. Let me read to you what... What Swanson said, uh, what he said, this also gives me an opportunity to look at the time. I see it. I see it. Um, let, me t- let me tell you. So at, after lunch, after lunch yesterday, here's what Swanson said. I'm going to read you a uh, quick story. The shortstop will be a free agent next offseason, but Swanson suggested Friday he didn't want the distraction of a contract negotiation. I haven't seen, I haven't even thought about it, he said. But my off-the-cusp answer would be, no, there's no point in having extra distractions. This game's hard enough as it is. You want to put all your energy into the game and your teammates, and that's the real reason why you do play ball, uh, why you do play, is for your teammates and to win. So if 
things are taken away from that focus, then it's not worth it. This dude gets it. This is baseball. But he understands that if he's going to stay the course through a 162-game season, what does he have to do? Stay focused. That's the call. That's the call for every Christian. You stay focused. Be alert and of sober mind. And I guarantee you, Dansby Swanson is alert and of sober mind so that he can walk through that season. And he will not be distracted. And if that's for the baseball season, how much more for us with ultimate things? So be listening to Scripture. Read the verse of the day. Keep those things in front of you. All right. Now, I do have another application point, but it's, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's this. Continue serving in the church. And if you haven't started, start serving. Do something in our church family. So if you're here at East Tenth, do something to serve your church family. Doesn't mean you do it every week, but just do something to serve our church family. The only reason kids walked out of this room and had somewhere to go safely was because there are volunteers every Sunday who are serving. Like, thank you for that. I know some of you are in here. Thank you. Like, we need you. Thank you. There are all kinds of ways to serve. When, we, when, when, when uh, Pat and Alice's niece, uh, Pat Whalen's daughter, when she passed a couple weeks ago and we had the funeral here and they walked over and had a meal, they were so cared for. All these people came and were serving that meal. Cleaning up, getting it ready, cooking. What a blessing. Just serve, okay? That's the goal. So here's the next step. So if I, we take it all and we boil it down like, Here's something we can do this week. Again, we're always looking for something you can walk away with. I'm hoping you walk away with a lot more, but this is something you can do this week. Go out of your way to serve a Christian friend this week. And don't grumble. Okay? And why Christian? Because this passage is about caring for each other. Caring for Christians. Send a card. Send a text message. Take a meal. I don't know. Like, you know your friends. Serve a Christian friend. And don't grumble while you do it. All right. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. We acknowledge you are ultimate. And at the end of the story of the world, it will be you who is ultimate. And that is a really good thing for us. And in your sovereignty, you have created the world just as it is. And you have set in motion a plan just as you desired. And now we just want to be about your glory, like just giving you praise. We're hand clapping for you and your goodness and your love. And we're going to serve each other. And they're going to be from the gifts and the time and the energy you've given us. And we want to stay focused on that. So help us. We pray that in the name of Jesus, who is our salvation. Amen.